This is Shop Talk Radio, episode 40 with Amber Ray. Welcome to Shop Talk Radio. I'm your host, Nick Onken, and on this show, we're bringing you inspiring guests to dive underneath the hood of the creative entrepreneurial lifestyle to bridge the gap between art, commerce, and inspiration. What is up, Shop Talk Creatives? Today, I get to bring to you my good friend, Miss Amber Ray. Amber is a writer, artist, and entrepreneur, and just all around amazing, vibrant woman. She's one of the few people that I know that lives life in the realm of synchronicity and flow, and just allows what she's feeling on the inside and what her truth is to flow externally into her art and her writing. Check her website out, heyamberray.com. That's H-E-Y-A-M-B-E-R-R-A-E.com. Get a sense of her writing, which is, it's very introspective and very inspiring and life-changing all at the same time. On today's podcast, we explore what it means to explore your creativity from the inside out, meaning taking what you are feeling and naturally are born to express and pushing that into the outward expression and direction of your artistic journey. We talk about how fear paralyzes us in our artistic journey and the importance of befriending our fears. We talk about techniques for getting unstuck in your creative flow. And then we get into love and her love life with her fiance Farhad and what they're creating in the world together, which is absolutely beautiful and amazing and something that I look up to. So without further ado, let's jump in. What's up, everyone? We've got my friend Amber Ray in the studio today. Welcome, Amber. Thank you. It's great to be here. It's awesome to have you. Amber is an amazing writer, entrepreneur, artist, and a woman of intuition. Ooh. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. And I want to I get more into that. We, uh, we just took three deep breaths of grounding, which is <laughs> uh, something I want to talk about later, about <laughs> staying grounded and, and following your intuition. So Amber is... She's written for Fast Company. Uh, we we wrote an article together last year, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Um, worked for worked with Seth Godin, many many people. But I want to give her the floor and have her tell you where she's from, what she's uh, been up to, and then the the big big project you're working on. So yes, jump in. Great, thanks. Hi everyone, it's really great to be here. Um, so give you a little background. I'm from Chicago, grew up in the suburbs lived there until I went to college in Ohio, Miami of Ohio, uh, stayed there for the four years, went back to Chicago and then felt this feeling inside of me that something was missing, that something didn't feel quite right. And basically have been on a journey of discovering and unlocking and really getting in touch with that, getting in touch with myself and quieting the noise of the world around me and really tapping into the world inside of me. So what I'm really committed and devoted to is exploring my creative limits from the inside out. I do that through writing. I do that through art. I do that through different entrepreneurial projects. My biggest one right now, or the the most recent one is called the world we want. And the whole idea is how do we bring the question of what's my purpose and how do we bring self-reflection and make it accessible to the masses? 
So the world we want, it's an interactive chalkboard in public spaces, and it asks you two questions. I want to live in a world where, and to create this world, I will. So we launched our first wall in Dumbo in Brooklyn, New York, yeah. back in September. 200,000 people came through. It was That's crazy. I, was, I had no idea what to expect. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> literally, so we, we finished painting the wall, me and a group of amazing women who were just such a rock of support as I was asking myself, can I really launch this public art project? I've never done anything like this before. And went home to change, had 30 minutes before the official launch. And when I got back, the entire wall was filled with reflections. Wow. So I was like, damn, okay. That's crazy. <laughs> I think we're onto something. <laughs> um, and then we had it up for the weekend for four days. And it was just, it was amazing. Um, I met this one man who he was, I think he was in his like early sixties. And he said, he, he started crying to me. He said, mm. um, this is the question that I, I really want to have the answer to in order to really be a role model to my grandchildren. Mm. And thank you for creating this, for inspiring me to really like reflect. Like these, these are the questions that I want to bring to my family. Yeah. And it was just like, it was so moving. That's so, amazing. So yeah, so that's the main project right now. We launched in Brooklyn. We then expanded um, with a group of amazing women who were the makers on the ground in Chicago. We built cubes in Chicago, had four cubes in Chicago, uh, went to Boulder, and now we're in the process of building our around the world strategy. Wow. So does this thing, it stays up or does it come down after a certain amount of time? So we really, we think it's, we, what we want to do is really capture a moment in time. So, mm. and we, we think that the birth and the death phase of a project are really important yeah. so that, you know, the momentum, the, the fear, the doubt, the, the natural birthing of something and all of the heart and the soul and the, the work that goes into that. And then equally is the other side of that, of letting it go, yeah. of letting it die, of taking it down and mm. then having a series or, you know, with, with Brooklyn, we have these 200 reflections, these 200 voices, these people who came, they participated, they contributed, they declared the world they want to live in. Yeah. And, um, and so we want to, we want to capture that and really honor that. So we're focusing on making them um, a period of time. And it really, it depends on the city and the community. There's no like, it has to be this way. And we're, we're still experimenting. So for example, yeah. Chicago was up for three weeks. Yeah. Boulder was up for um, about four days as well. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. So where, you know, I'm curious, like, where did this idea come from? Did it, and, and like almost the deeper cut, you know, because uh, you're such an internal person um and you follow your intuition where did that start so it's interesting this project um it was last about a year ago actually exactly um i started feeling this energy in my belly mm. and i remember meeting with a girlfriend and telling her it feels like my artist is repressed mm. and i had spent the last four years really being a catalyst for different entrepreneurs and creatives and writers, helping them launch their books, their businesses, their ideas. And I said to her, you know, I feel like there's some like a heartbeat inside of me yeah. that is ready to be birthed. Mm. And so I, I just became aware of it, became aware of the energy, um, didn't really know what that meant or how to make sense of it at the time, was just aware that there was something. And then literally I <laughs> found myself one day walking through Dumbo and my body thrusted, like hmm. literally my pelvis thrusted in a direction. Hmm. And it was lunchtime. There were lots of people around. And the first thing I, I thought was, <laughs> oh, my God, did anyone see me? Like, why am I thrusting in the middle of, of Dumbo? Um, what's going on? <laughs> so so I, I ignored it. I let it go. I went about my day. And then 
a few days later, I thrust it again. And this time I was in, um, I was in lower, where was I? I was in Nolita. Hmm. And so I thought to myself, okay, this is strange, but I'm going to go with it. I'm going to be open. I'm not going to close it off and I'm going to see what's here. So I decided to follow the thrust. So my like body literally thrusted in a certain direction. So I was like, well, I guess I'll just walk that way and see what happens. Mm. I ended up finding this magical new cafe um, called Two Hands that had just opened, went in, had avocado toast and a tea, did some writing, felt really inspired, walked out and found this art studio. Uh, Mm. It was called The Shed and it was art for the people by the people. And I was Mm. like, oh, that's interesting. I've been wanting to do art. And so I go inside and I've been looking for art classes in New York for years and haven't really found anything that resonated. So I walk inside and of course I meet the the art artist, uh, the owner, and it's really, it was the kind of art I wanted to make. It was mixed media. There was a lot of like um, different images, whether it was women or cities or it was just really cool, modern, edgy art. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I want to make that. Yeah. So I pitched him on an idea. Like if I bring the people, will you teach classes? And so it was just funny things like that kept happening. Um, the thrust led me to meet this other painter called the love child. And when I asked <laughs> him what his creative process was, he said, I look at the painting and I ask it what it wants me to express. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, I was like, holy shit, he looks at the painting and he asks it what it wants him to express. He take, he completely surrenders to control hmm. over what he's making. And he instead invites a question and invites an asking and then listens and then hmm. makes that. Wow. And you could see it in the way that he, it was so fluid, his approach to, to painting. And I was just super inspired. So I kept meeting these characters around New York and then... One day I'm in a cafe in New York and I felt this urge to begin asking people questions about the meaning of life. I was so curious Mm. of who these people around me in New York were, what was going on inside of them, what dreams lay dormant, you know, what fears were getting in the way, what was the world that they wanted to live in. Yeah. And so... Um, I was really nervous about it at first. And I remember thinking of, um, I watched this talk by Brandon of Humans of New York and it was talking about his approach and how he should just like go up there and do it yeah. and not, you know, let himself psych him, get psyched out. And so I was there psyching myself out and I was like, stop psyching yourself out. And so eventually turned to the guy sitting next to me and was like, hi, I'm working on an art project. Can I ask you a few questions on the meaning of life? And he, <laughs> I, I actually, I don't even think I said the meaning of life. I didn't want to scare him away. I think I said, can I just ask you a few questions? And I asked him, how do you define love? How do you define freedom? What are your fears? What are you grateful for? And what world do you want to live in? Mm. And the interaction was so moving. And he was so like, wow, you know, thank you for, that was such a clearing for me. And thank you for bringing that unexpected encounter to the middle of my workday. And so I kept doing it. And that one conversation led to, I probably interviewed about 200 New Yorkers. Wow. I was on subways. I was in cafes. I was at parties. I was at events. I was like at this wine tasting and I was like, Hey, yeah. you, do you want to tell me, <laughs> do you want to answer some questions for me? And what I realized in all those interactions is how everyone had something to say, mm-hmm. but no one was really asking them the questions. Um, yeah. I'd say 50% of the people I talked to said, I can't believe I'm telling you this, but it was hmm. like no one had held that safe space for them. Yeah. And, or I've, n- no one's ever asked me this before. I was yeah. like, really? No one's ever asked you what you're afraid of? No one's asked you, you know, you know, no one's ever asked you the world you want to live in. <laughs> so I, I felt like there was this, like, I felt this responsibility actually yeah. to take all of this, what, you know, all of these questions and all these experiences and bring it into public. And so I started researching different artists. I looked at what uh, Candy Chang did with Before I Die. I looked at uh, what, 
Brandon at Humans of New York is doing. I looked at uh, JR and all these different street artists and eventually landed on, okay, the most, the easiest way to bring this is, is the chalkboard. It's inexpensive. It, the new one in New York costs like 400 bucks. Right. And, um, and I loved the idea of it being on chalkboard because it really brings back that playfulness mm-hmm. that you had, you know, playing with chalk on a chalkboard, yeah. you know, kind of getting rid of the thinker and allowing you to really like flow into the moment. And it was yeah. amazing how kids that were three years old participated and, you know, people who were in their 80s participated. So it really yeah. it was super accessible. So that's that's really the story of, of how that came to me and the came to be in the the thrust and the the ongoing soft whisper and energy. Um, it was funny when I when I did birth the project, it literally felt like something came from outside of me. Wow. And that heartbeat that I felt inside of me was now a real living thing. Yeah. That's that's insane. I love it. <laughs> I love it. So I give it what's what's your vision for this project? Where do you see it going? So I wanna take it around the world. Um, initially I thought let's scale this as quickly as possible. Let's come up with what is the process to make this happen and hand it off to anyone who wants to make it in their city. Um, I quickly realized that that's not a good idea. And although growth is good, I really wanted to maintain the purity of the idea early on and to, why would I just like let go of something that I, that I want to be involved in. And so, um, really going to focus on growing it with, with partners on the ground that I'm thrilled to collaborate with where I can play an active role and they can really like together, we can make something beautiful. So um, looking at San Francisco and Asia and looking at Israel and looking at London and uh, Buenos Aires are some of the ones that are kind of priorities right now. Also Cape town. Um, I think it, it would be, even more amazing if there's a, you know, like Palestine and Israel, something top of mind for me. Like there's, there's an urge and a, a deep desire to go there and to, to cr- bring that kind of conversation there. Yeah. Um, so places like that, but also, you know, the five boroughs in New York simultaneously launching in the spring is, is something that we're yeah. working on. So basically it's, it's bringing this conversation and making this, this practice of self-reflection accessible around the world. Wow. That's a big, that's a big game. I love it. I love it. Thanks. You're, you're going to do it. I, it's, it's already happening. And, and I know like we've been friends for a while. So I know that when you put your mind something to, to something, you're going to make it happen mm, thank oh, you. or you're going to let it happen Let it happen because I it's like already that. happening. I like that. <laughs> Set the stage and allow it to unfold. Set the stage. <laughs> and this kind of leads me into where I want to want to go next is like, you know, what does it mean to explore your your creative limits uh, from the inside out because that's the space that you've come from um, for as long as I've known you. Your writings come from there. Like everything you do artistically comes from there. The way you live your life comes from the inside out. And I mean, you've inspired me to dig deeper in that. We worked together last year and something that I've been actually working on doing more myself is like really just kind of doing what's flowing. Mm. But dive into that, like, you know, that question and tell us more what that means and, and how we can go about doing that. Cool. So first let's talk about what it doesn't mean. Um, what it doesn't mean, it's not pushing yourself tirelessly as you approach challenges and blocks and making an idea happen. It isn't focusing on the next milestone or, you know, getting more followers or everything outside of you. It's not about just gaining more power and influence it's not that journey that's just in that outer world. It's really the journey that begins within you. 
And so exploring your creative limits from the inside out is going to that edge of what you think is possible. Hmm. It's being aware of what those limits are, Mm -hmm. either consciously or unconsciously, that you hold about yourself. And then it's shining a light on those limits because once you shine that light on those limits, you create awareness and then you allow that limit to dissolve. So the way I like to think about this, and this visual has really helped me in in talking about this and and even really understanding myself, is um, scuba diving into your subconscious or into your consciousness. So have you ever gone scuba diving? I've been snorkeling. Okay, I've been snorkeling. So it's similar. But (laughs) you, you know, you like dip your toe in water, you dive in, and it's this time of deep solitude. The world above you fades away for a little while, and you become very conscious of your breath. You're breathing in, you're breathing out you really, you begin to go inside yourself. There's so many unknowns around you around what you might uncover. And like, you might peek around this coral and find a shark or you might find a cute little seahorse. Yeah. You find these caves and you find these crevices and all of a sudden you shine a light there and what you might find is extraordinary beauty. Yeah. And so it's, it's really taking that approach to also going inside yourself to illuminate those dark places, those limiting beliefs, to tap more deeply into your unique gifts and your essence really to strengthen those values, what's really important to you. And to then take all of that awareness and all of that clarity about who you are, what you believe and what motivates you and to bring that then to the outside world. Hmm. So Hmm. I see that as being one of the disconnects in with creatives and entrepreneurs today, where we live in this world that's so connected through technology, but we're disconnected from ourselves. Hmm. And I know because I was one of them, it was me back in, you know, 2000, nine when I was just pursuing a career in technology, money, status, like going after my designer wardrobe and like having all of these things outside of me Mm -hmm. and suddenly being like, wait, this is not my life. I'm living someone else's life. There's more. And I don't even know really who I am. Yeah. And I have tidbits of what I like and dislike and what speaks to me and what doesn't. But, you know, I wasn't really writing then. I hadn't really tapped into, I had no idea I had an artist inside of me. Yeah. Um, And so it's, it's really that process of beginning within and not just focusing on, on everything outside. Mm, I like that. I like that. So let's get a little bit, first of all, kind of, can you explain the idea of, of creative limits? What does that, what does that mean in a a tangible state? So a limit might be like, I'm not good enough. I'm, Mm. you know, I'm scared. Uh, will my idea work? You know, why would anyone want to collect I mean it could be limiting like why would anyone collaborate with me or let me think of something personal um recently something I've been working on is when I seek validation and approval from others and when I'm not seeking validation and approval from others Mm. and you know just being aware of like when I'm checking Instagram to see how many people liked my last post to see if it resonated I'm like do I really need to be checking that in this moment is that the most important thing or should I keep writing yeah. And so it's like, it's those like those mini checks. And what I actually found was that when I'm writing and the the things that I put in, out into the world um, come from such a pure place, like I couldn't think of, a friend asked me the other day, I couldn't think of anything I've written in the last year where I was seeking approval or validation because it was the most free when I write, it's the most free place that I feel. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's both like finding, okay, so if I feel so free when writing, how can I bring that to other parts of my life? How can I bring that when I'm nervous meeting someone for the first time and I feel a little uncomfortable? Um, how do I acknowledge that? And how do I, you know, sort of, um, uh, find peace in that? Yeah. Yeah. It's funny you say, I mean, going back to it's So it's like limiting beliefs is the first thing, but it's funny that you mentioned that we, that, um, 
looking at your Instagram likes. And I was, I was joking. Um, I was joking with a buddy of mine uh, about taking a, like a screenshot and changing the likes to self-worth points <laughs> because it's so true. We're like oh, so many times. And that's, I think a good distinction. Yeah. Exactly. What we were talking about of, am I doing this because I need to feel good about myself or am I doing it because I actually love it? Mm. And I think that's a, the first piece to becoming a creative entrepreneur is finding something that you can do because you actually love the craft and you have a passion for the craft and you can find that resonance. Mm. And then, as you said, it's like make that distinction because it's like people want to be rock stars. Do they want to be rock stars because they like being in front of people or do they actually love making music and performing and, and changing the way people, you know, affects people totally um so i really love what you like that distinction that you made it's it's great yeah one way i like to think about it too is like there's ego calls and there's soul calls and so i had an artist recently ask me uh when i feel a call how do i know if i'm ready for it and so i said well let's break down and understand the call a little bit is it you know ego i want more approval more power i am looking to get you know more attention and all the things outside of me Mm. or is it oh my God, the very act of doing this enlivens every ounce of my being and it is a privilege and an honor and I can't believe I get to do this. Yeah. So, you know, that's more of the soul goal. And and I don't mean to say that like power, money, status, those things outside are, there's nothing, there's no judgment on that. And there's a time and a place for the ego. Like the ego is amazing at making decisions. The ego is amazing at setting boundaries (laughs) and those things are critical to make anything happen. But I think it's important to make sure that the ego isn't steering the ship, that the Uh. soul is stealing the ship and the ego is supporting that journey. I like that. It sounds kind of like what you mentioned earlier, the thinker and the moments, which I wanted mm. to dive a little bit more into. Um, if you could explain that idea a little bit more, like diving into the moments and not letting the thinker take over. Cause I feel like it's pretty, it's a somewhat similar space. Totally. So can you, what do you mean exactly? Uh, you mentioned earlier, you said like before, before this, and you were, you said something about going diving into the moments mm. versus letting the thinker take over let, letting the ego take over and stop you and i think if if what i'm understanding that's what your creative limits are yeah is is the ego stopping you from what your soul's trying to make exactly oh i love i love that distillation oh uh, <laughs> yeah and it's it this is all just it's a practice of awareness um So a friend recently was, I've been helping her kind of with her body awareness. This is a little bit back to the thinker, but I think it'll bring us back there um, of her body awareness. And when she has a conversation of when her shoulders kind of go in and when she feels tightness in her body and when something just doesn't feel right. And Mm. when her shoulders open and her heart expands and she feels really alive and connected to the moment. And she only recently has really become aware of when her body is making these motions. And she was like, damn, it's really like informative. Yeah. But because we can get so stuck in the head around thinking our mind is, is us rather than a tool we can completely cut off, like live from the head up and cut off what the body wisdom is giving us. Mm. So I, so I think, you know, it's becoming aware of when I think something and not thinking that thought is me. So if I think, oh man, I applied for this program and I got rejected, that means I'm not good enough. Mm. Or it means that I am not worthy of this program. You know, it doesn't mean that it's actually just a redirection, but it's catching that thought mid time. Cause we have them. We have like, I think I can't remember 
I'm, I think I would completely batch this number. It's either like we have 65,000 thoughts or 65. Yeah, I think it's 65,000 thoughts a day. Mm-hmm. And so it's catching those thoughts when they don't serve us. Yeah. And just it's not like, oh, my God, I need to change that or something's wrong with me. It's just like seeing the thought, catching the thought, being aware of the thought and not letting the thought to control you, yeah. not letting the thought to like send you down a rabbit hole mm-hmm. where suddenly that thought becomes what you think is real. Yeah. And so that's where like going into the body and recognizing. So when I'm you know, feeling some sort of pain or thinking something negative, I'll actually, I've been learning to, to ask myself, okay, where in the body is that showing up? Mm. What shape is it? What size is it? And then asking it like, what do you need from me? Or what are you feeling? Yeah, that's, it's so true. I mean, and you say that and it's like negative thoughts perpetuate even more negative thoughts. And like you said, you dive down this rabbit hole and you find yourself living on the ego side. Yeah. And it's just unhealthy. And you start attracting that into your life. Totally. It's crazy. <laughs> totally, totally. So I want to keep going on this a little bit more, exploring, you know, your creative limits. So you're exploring your creative limits, the voices, the thoughts that are telling you that you can't do this, or you shouldn't do this. Um, is there anything else that we should be aware of limit-wise? Hmm. I feel like we covered we covered the limits. Okay. It's the voices in the head. It's the... The actually, I think, oh, 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 here's one big limit that mm. I see. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I feel I, I hear people a lot talk about how they want to conquer fear mm-hmm. or how they want to become fearless. And yeah. once they, and this is kind of a once I am here, then I can do this. And mm-hmm. I think that's a pattern that holds us back completely, whether it's about fear or whether it's about anything. But you know, when I become fearless, then I can go write the book that I really want to write. Mm. And I think that that's such a myth. And I think that's killing our creativity Mm. because we never become fearless. Right. You know, that's not like that isn't a state that we can ever reach. Uh, Fear is not something that we need to make, you know, this enemy. I think it's something that we need to make our friend Mm. because, you know, back many, many years ago when we were getting chased by tigers are, we of course came fear, fear came up to try to save us. And now when, you know, we're wanting to write the book or whatever it is that our soul really wants us to do, that same fear emerges. Mm. It doesn't mean we have to go kill the tiger or the lion or whatever it is. Right. It means that we need to push through that and to really understand it and to hear it out and then to go with the fear, to like really invite fear for along for the ride. Mm. So one thing that I do, a technique that I have is called fear archetypes or naming fear. So I have two fears. I have, um, or two main fear voices, Grace and Mama Jenny. And I'll talk about Grace. So Grace is like this mid thirties British woman. So I've, I've decided <laughs> that I've noticed that I have this fear around things not being ready mm. or me wanting them to be really perfect before I push them out into the world. Total yeah. perfectionist side of me. Yeah. And so I, I decided I was going to create an archetype around her. She's mid 30s. She's British. Her name is Grace. And she really just, yeah, she wants things to be perfect and they're never ready. Ooh. So in creating that archetype, I can talk to Grace. I can say, hey, Grace, I know that you think that this post or this article isn't ready yet. Or I know that you think this world we want wall isn't quite perfect. But you know what? It's going live in 30 minutes and it's good enough. And thank you for your opinion. And thank you for trying to keep me safe. I hear you and I'm going to keep going on. And then she becomes quiet. She just wants to feel heard. So (laughs) these fears just want to be heard. They want to be acknowledged. And the more we try to push them away or try to conquer or overcome them, I think the further away we get from actually creating from that, creating that soul work. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Push into fear, step into fear. 
um, and keep going. Yeah. So you've explored your outer limit or your creative limits. Then what? Like, where do you go from there? Hmm. I think it's it's this balance. And, you know, I, I think it can be there's always extremes. And it's like you have to find that that harmony or that that inner that inner harmony for yourself, because you can go so on the journey of going inside yourself, understanding your beliefs and your limits and everything that happens in this inner world that nothing happens outside of you. Mm. And so it's a balance of experimentation and creation alongside with going within understanding self and really connecting more deeply with yourself. And so once you, you know, I think it's, it's almost like I, I think about it as seasons, like December for me was really a time of going within of reflection mm. of, of connecting, of seeing what happened over the year, what it is that's, you know, that I, I seek to emerge and open up to in this next year. And then, you know, January is more, um, a time of action of making yeah. things happen, of putting things out into the world, of really going for it and, and, and pushing myself in ways that scare me where my fear voice is like, Oh my God, are you sure I want to hide under the covers? <laughs> and so it's, it's that, that balance of, um, of doing and being, mm. and really while you're doing, noticing how you're being and when you're, you know, so it's like, And I find that when I'm actually taking action, when I'm experimenting, when I'm doing things out in the world, that's when like my being or these limits are happening at a rapid rate. And I need to be that much more aware. Mm. So explain being a little bit more. What does that, what does it mean to be? I'd say, so be for me is, is really, it's kind of more on who you are. Mm -hmm. So kind of that, that what I talked about of, of the inner world. So I, the way I think about being is just who I am inside of me, my gifts, my essence, um, who I am, you know, when the world isn't watching and mm. then doing is what I then take from inside of me and put out into the world. Mm. Those like creative pursuits, those, those experiments, those projects. Yeah. I like that. That's good. Um, and then actually I could, we could talk about techniques a little bit. Yeah, this I was just like going to ask, like, to... so how, you know, yeah, how do you actually give us some techniques on how to do that? So, so it is seasonally as well as like, what can we do monthly? What can we do daily? Mm-hmm. So daily, a few practices I have, um, one is called wisdom hour. So years ago I did Julia Cameron's the artist's way, and it's all about reclaiming your, your creativity. And she takes you through a 12 week process. One of the staples of that process is something called morning pages. Morning pages is three stream of consciousness, uh, pages written in your journal of just anything. It's like just word vomit, let it out, yeah. get, you know, get the ego out of the way, understand what you're feeling and just like, let it go and move on. Yeah. And that process was, it was cathartic for me. And it's something that I did just, I, I couldn't, I couldn't, it was almost like I couldn't live without, it. I did it, you know, every day. And then in the last year, I felt like I wanted more from the the morning pages or I mm-hmm. felt like there was more wisdom for me to really intentionally tap into. And so I started something called Wisdom Hour, where it's like, you know, we have all these mentors, again, outside of us in the world, which are beautiful, amazing and so pivotal to our, our own growth. But mm-hmm. we also have this inner wisdom inside of us. Mm. So how do we create a practice of asking and listening to ourselves? Mm. So literally, one of the first things I'll do, um, and I don't necessarily do this every day, I do it as needed, which tends to be a couple of times a week, but I'll literally in Q and a format in my journal, write Like Q, Hey, inner wisdom, here's what's going on. Here's where mm-hmm. I'm stuck. Here's what I'm challenged with. Here's what I'm thinking about, you know, in just kind of as a way of seeking clarity. And so I'll put it all out there and then I'll write like a, and then my inner wisdom will talk to me mm-hmm. and tell me like what it is that it thinks that feels that I should do. And it's insane how, 
the things that come out of this yeah. because it's like, where the hell did that come from? <laughs> and sometimes I'm like, wow, like that's, you know, it, it comes, these gems come and it's really, it's like a relationship building tactic with yourself, like how mm. to really like understand. And then after you, so you ask, then you listen. And then the most important part is that trusting piece. Cause like, can I really trust what they said? Um, but I found like the more I trust that that's really, that's my, that's my internal guiding system. That's my intuition. That's yeah. my, my inner voice. And there's, you know, really taking that as a really important data point in making decisions. Yeah. So you would say that your inner wisdom as you're calling it is the same thing as your intuition. Yeah. I would say, I mean, I think intuition is, gosh, how would I define intuition? Um, intuition is like that sixth sense, that inner, that deep inner knowing. Mm -hmm. And I think inner wisdom is probably like the body of wisdom that that intuition stems from. Mm. So how do you decipher between intuition and what's in your head? Mm. It's knowing when to use my head and when not to. So I think I used to be so head driven. In fact, I'd say when I was like 2021, everything started with, I think, I think, I think, I think it was never, I feel because I didn't know how I felt. And Mm. so it's, you know, what the head is really good at is strategizing, analyzing, problem solving. Um, What the heart is really good at is like knowing, um, directional. It's like the compass, the navigation, Mm. the feeling, the, what does this feel? Why am I feeling that way? And, you know, completing that, the really, um, those are, those are kind of, it's the blend between the masculine and the feminine. Yeah. And so go ahead. Oh no, I was, I was, I guess what I was going to ask is, um, you know, we talked a little bit earlier about how women tend to feel more than men. Mm. So I guess my question would be like, (laughs) A, is this, um, is, is this something that's harder for men to, uh, to understand or to, to feel because the way that we're wired as we were Mm. talking about? And if so, what are some ways that we can tap into that? Yeah. So I saw John, I met John Gray recently. He wrote men are from Mars, women are from Venus. And then I saw him speak and I can't remember the exact number. So don't quote me on this, but he said something like women feel nine times more than men. Mm. And just because of the wiring in our brain, we're that much more, we have that, that much larger of a capacity to feel. And I remember Farhad, my fiance, and I looking at each other and laughing because I'm always feeling everything <laughs> and, yeah. and wanting to really allow myself to feel it and allow it to flow through me. Um, th- there's this Buddhist author, Pema Khandran, and she says, or Chodron, I don't, I feel like I'm not saying her name right, but um, she, she says that it takes 90 seconds for pain to leave your body. Mm. But what lasts decades or a lifetime is the story that we attach to that feeling. Mm. And so what Farhad's really taught me is like, he's, he's so good at, at staying unattached to his feelings as seeing the feelings and not making any meaning of them, not saying, Oh, you know, that is me. I am that feeling. I am, I'm sad. So that means I am sad. No, like I'm feeling sadness in this moment and I am not sadness. So Mm. I think he's, he's really taught that to me, but so, you know, it's this balance of at the same time, um, feeling that letting yourself feel it through and then not add the meaning to it. Right. But going back to your question around really, um, so like, so men, yes, of course, men have a capacity to feel, um, perhaps women are more wired to have that larger capacity, but how do we, how do we get in touch? And it's funny that Farhad is probably my greatest guinea pig on all of this. I'm like (laughs) constantly testing things on him. In fact, (laughs) the past two nights he's had trouble sleeping and he never has trouble sleeping. And usually he like climbs into bed, he grabs me and he's literally asleep within 30 seconds. It's, it's, 
it blows my mind every time. Um, <laughs> like how, how does that happen? Whereas like being next to his presence, what he does for me is all of a sudden my brain is on fire yeah. and I'm like in major idea storms yeah. until like two o'clock in the morning. So he's passed out and I'm, you know, in a heightened <laughs> state of creativity. Anyway, um, when he was feeling this restlessness, you know, he turned and I asked him, I was like, are you feeling restless? He's like, yes, what do I do? And so I led him through some deep breathing mm. and I, it was like, you know, breathe in love, breathe out fear, breathe in faith, breathe out. I don't know. I make it up real time pain and, you know, breathe in trust, breathe out suffering, you know, yeah. whatever. And just allowing him to get out of his head and to get into his body. So it's really, it's like, you know, whether it's, it's, you can put attention on the heart and breathe into the heart and really like, so after we did that, I said, okay, now focus your attention on the heart, feel the vibration, feel the warmth of the heart. And we breathed into the heart and then it was feel the vibration of your whole body. And mm. literally when you focus on it, you can feel your, the, the energy of your body. Mm. And so it was getting him into that place and he was asleep again within 30 seconds. <laughs> um, again, we don't always want getting into our body to put us asleep, but it's, it's these breathing techniques of these practices of really putting the focus on the heart, putting the focus on the body rather than always putting the focus on the brain. Ah, uh, interesting. So that kind of goes with grounding, like as we talked about before, before we started, grounding just kind of brings you back and centered. Totally. Um, and speaking of centering, um, you know, like how do we find center and mm. explain what actually that actually means? So, yeah, I think I started talking about this and actually didn't complete that. So I'm glad you brought it back up. Um, Finding, yeah, so like finding this inner harmony, I, I feel like, or what I've noticed that sometimes it takes us going to extremes in order to find it. So mm. here's an example. I'm, I'm a, any, or not an Enneagram, I'm a uh, Myers-Briggs ENFP. And mm. the biggest criticism of this, of the ENFP is that they see opportunities everywhere, have a million ideas, but they don't <laughs> necessarily follow through. Yeah. And so I would say in my early twenties, I was just like crazy, like the world is my oyster and oh my God, I'm in a candy store and I want to eat all the candy. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was like really at an extreme. And then people started being like, is Amber reliable? Can Amber follow through? You know, Amber uh, has a lot of ideas. Can she make those ideas happen? And I really, I took that to heart. Mm -hmm. And so then I went into the other extreme, which was like, Amber is in execution mode and Amber like follows through almost to the point where I actually probably cut out my heart a little bit. I got so into process and methodology and systems that it some mm. it didn't feel quite right either. I was like, wait, this isn't who I really am. Like, I'm really great that I'm have all these like P and L statements, and I've like understand cash flow, and to like I've you know <laughs> have I've I've created all of this, and I'm able to actually follow through and make it happen. Wonderful. Okay, how do I find that that middle place? Yeah. And so then it's you know okay taking that and then allowing because what happened is I cut off ideas. I found myself like constantly turning opportunities away. Mm. And then in the middle is, okay, how can we create filtering for opportunities? How can we know what are the top five values or principles that we're going to fil filter different opportunities through? That's mm. kind of like taking both sides. Yeah. Um, so it's not completely closed off. It's not completely open to everything, but it's being discerning. So it's yeah. having discernment. So I, f I find that, you know, and I've seen this happen in many clients that I've worked with where it goes all from like, I'm completely risk averse to now I'm taking all these risks. Oh my God, this is the most uncomfortable thing in the world to wait, what are the risks that I really want to take that are worth yeah. me taking? Yeah. So what are those filters then? 
So, I mean, I think it, it really depends on the individual. I think it's a, a practice of what are the filters. So mm. let me, so with the world we want, we're thinking about filters around the makers, which are the people on the ground that we work with. And like one thing is that we want um, obviously them to be in this for a reason bigger than themselves. So it's mm-hmm. kind of the idea of we over me. Mm-hmm. So are they invested in the vision versus the pot, you know, versus something really just about, about them. Yeah. Another would be, um, we want to make sure that they have their own purpose and passion in life. So it's not that they're holding on to something because they really need validation. It's that they are, you know, they are this like creator of amazing things in the world. They are very passionate. They're pursuing their purpose, you know, and this is something that only augments that it's not like the only thing. Um, I'm forgetting what the rest of them are. Um, but we, we have like, you know, these different filters that we can use in making decisions about the type of partners we want to work with. We had over 75 people from around the world reaching out, wanting to build walls. We were like, oh my God, what do we do? Yeah. So, so this is a good practice to implement in any of your art projects. Totally. Like, what would you say is a good way of creating these filters? If, if somebody, practically speaking, somebody doing an art project, how do you go about creating these filters? So Again, I think it depends on the on the on the project and the situation, but I would think through. So like what is the ideal? What is so say it's around filtering for talent or bringing people or collaborators. Like who is the ideal collaborator? What does it feel like to work with them? Mm. Um, when you guys are at your best, this is what it looks like. When you guys are at your worst, here's how you deal with it. So it's almost like pre-setting the conditions mm-hmm. so that you're very clear on how you want something to unfold so that you can step into that together. Mm. So like, that's an example of with talent with, um, so I know with like with, again, with the world we want, when yeah. I was thinking, how do I bring this to a public space? I asked, I started coming up with different, you know, um, filters for myself. One, I wanted to make sure that it was in terms of how to like the application, what would be the visual of it? I wanted to make sure that it was accessible to anyone that if you were five years old, you could participate. If you were in your 80s, you could participate. Mm. I wanted to make sure that it was cost effective so that it could be easily grown. And I wanted to make sure that it was like really visually beautiful. Yeah. And so it was those elements that helped me really get to the design of it. Got it. Awesome. That's great. Um, let's shift a little bit here. And I want to talk to talk a little about, about the life accelerator that you built mm. for creatives. And you know it's called the Bold Academy. And tell us a little bit about what that is or was, if it's still going. (laughs) (laughs) It it is not still going. Um, I always joke that it was my MBA in a year and a half. Mm. And I learned more in that year and a half than probably anything I've ever done. Very painfully learned more. Uh, But no, it was wonderful. Um, So the Bold Academy was this, it was a life accelerator. And the idea was kind of similar to we're we're so connected through technology, but we're disconnected from ourselves. What I began noticing is that um, I was I was very involved in technology, um, worked in enterprise software, um, worked with different startups, and that was really how my career started. And so I worked with a lot of men. And in working with men, I, you know, I, I just noticed these amazing gaming companies coming out and all of these things being launched. And I would the first question I would always ask them is why? Yeah. Why are you doing that? And I was amazed at how few people could answer that question. Mm. Or it was like, because there's a market for it because this might be a billion dollar idea, yeah. you know? And I was like, great. So what's, 
motivating you? Like what's internally, like, is there anything beyond that? And I found that there was a disconnect between what they wanted to make happen in the world and like their relate, they weren't connected to the idea. Mm. And then what I found is, you know, then I also had, um, different men and women coming to me saying like something feels missing from my life. And, yeah. you know, we would dig into it and it was because they were missing from their life yeah. because they were making things happen in the world, but completely leaving themselves out of that equation. Mm. And I was like, well, what about your interests? What about the things that like that drive you and move you? Like why, why, how can we weave that in so that you feel like a whole and complete person? Right. So the Bold Academy really was a life accelerator for that. It was how can, whether you're, you've been at Adobe for 10 years and now you want to find out what's beyond that or you're an entrepreneur and you have 15 ideas but you don't know how to filter them because you're not clear in your purpose or mm. you are you know in transition and have this social entrepreneurial idea that's a fashion company but you're scared and you don't know how to like really own it and get on center stage yeah um those were kind of the people that we brought together. It was 10 days long. The second one in San Francisco was 10 days long. We all lived in a house. We brought in mentors wow. um, from all different um, focuses. And really it was like a boot camp to make, to get connected with yourself and then to create from that place. Yeah. Oh, that's great. So you probably saw, I'm sure you saw like a lot of great results come out of that. Oh yeah. Actually one of, um, Betsy Nunez who, uh, launched sword and plow out of it, which was a, they take veterans fabric and they turn it into these, these like really beautiful bags and, um, mm. it's like a, yeah, a bag, bag company. Um, she was just named to Forbes 30 under 30. Oh wow. And she launched, I think she launched her Kickstarter. This was back two years ago, I think three years ago now, um, and raised about $350,000. So yeah, so she's like off killing it and making it happen. So there, I mean, they were amazing and, and, and the community that is still from bold, it's really beautiful. Like I think a couple months ago we had like a mini bold reunion in New York. And so it's like the community is really like from that perspective, it was such a success from the perspective of making it like financially viable. That was not a success. (laughs) Um, and so that, I mean, that was where it was really painful lessons. Yeah, I mean that's I guess art and commerce is the, yeah. the hardest thing, you know, how how do you make money with your art and a lot of people listening to this are always we're, that's what we're always curious about, right? It's like the art of selling your art. Yeah. How did you when you were starting uh with your writing, how did you how did you make money while you were doing that? That's where um I really did I called it like strategy clients I had. Mm. So I I've still haven't made money with writing. And in fact, it's actually never something that I focused on making money with. Mm. Um, that's shifting now. So I'm still figuring that out. Wow. I'll let you know when I find out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's just purely been from this is what I'm here to do and I don't yeah. know what else to do. But uh, how, I, how I funded everything was through retreats led around the world with working one-on-one with individual clients. I've probably worked with close to 250 individuals in different formats and capacities, whether it's a workshop one-on-one or in like a longer retreat model, like the live tribe. Yeah. Um, and that was what really funded all of the mm. adventures. Yeah. You got to have the commerce. Yeah. <laughs> and now I'm, you know, it got to the point where um, this August is when I decided I'm going to create the space to really figure out how I can maybe step away from clients and what, what's beyond that. Mm. So that's, that's the space that I'm playing in right now. So I don't know the answers yet, Yeah, <laughs> but those a, are the, the questions I'm asking myself. You got to be creative in business. <laughs> yeah. Really. What it comes down yeah. to is building a business, a creative business around a business around your art. Yep. Um, and it's different for everyone. 
Totally. Yeah. Uh, another thing I want to talk about, you know, as, as an artist, when I'm working or even for me, like sitting down, writing doesn't come naturally to me. Like mm. I do it every once in a while, but I get stuck. And I want to ask you, like, how do you, when you're trying to get something out or whatever, how do you get, what are some things that you can do to get unstuck? Mm. Go on a walk. So walks always help me. Um, mm. I find that, you know, sitting in front of a computer, that's not where inspiration comes from. And mm. so often some of the best writing that I'll do is I'll go on a walk or I'll go take myself on, this is another Julia camera thing, on an artist date where I take myself somewhere and I allow myself to play and get really creative. And it's in these interactions that some of my best writing is born. Mm. So it's really being open to what is happening in the world outside of me. How does that make, like, how does that make me feel? What's my experience of it? And what is the gift or the lesson that I can share with others? So mm. I've been approaching my every day when I write, when I open my journal to just to do my either wisdom hour or my morning pages, I say, I am, I am ready. I am willing. I am open. And it's just really creating that space, like setting that intention every day. I'm ready. I'm willing. I'm open. Like (laughs) have me. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, and really seeing that every encounter in life is a teacher, a clue. It's a gift. And even when it's painful or we get triggered, like that's something that's, that's such a gift for us Mm. to go within ourselves and be like, you know, what's showing up for me and being able to really like, you know, get, get in touch and complete that. Um, and so as I've been, thinking of the world as this amazing treasure hunt where I get to uncover gifts and, you know, sacred wisdom everywhere I go. It's amazing how that perspective has ina- has facilitated my ability to write. Mm, um, a year good. ago, I started something called The 100 Day Book, which was El Luna. She launched something, it was called The 100 Day Project, which is based off of a, te- uh, a class that Michael Beirut teaches at Yale, which is a 100 day project concept, which you do one action every day for 100 days. At the end of it, you have something to show for what you did for 100 days. Yeah. And so last year I decided to write for 100 days. Um, mm. And it was in- it's interesting to, s- to look at when I had that discipline and focus that needs to happen every day. What did happen is it was really hard at first, but it was a muscle that I built. Mm. And once I strengthen that creativity muscle. Once I began to notice things around me, once I began to just put it out there and say like, fuck to the perfection, Mm -hmm. um, it snowballed. Yeah. So, so that really supported me. And it's, it's, I guess the biggest thing that I'm saying here is sometimes if you're sitting there trying to force the writing out, stop forcing it, like stop resisting it, go on a walk, go do something, you know, focus on the input so that your output will naturally occur. Mm, I find that like, if I sit there and like, I can just sit there and write, 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 write without editing myself without, but then, (laughs) you know, that works for some people. It's never really worked for me because it takes, sucks the joy out of the process. Mm. I would much rather like go then talk to some like man on the street or have a random conversation or, you know, talk to the driver, the, the cab driver here on the way. I started, I was practicing some of it. I was, I was like asking him, do you know what to, it means to scuba dive into your consciousness? Do you want to hear about it? And you know, the interaction was amazing. So it's like inviting that serendipity and inviting those opportunities for things that you'll want to write about. Cause writing mm. is just capturing the adventure that you're living. That's good. That's good. Our art comes from what we experience. Yeah. So if you're out creating experiences, creating your moments, yeah. you can learn from that and you can, you can create more art from what you experience on a daily basis and, and a greater basis in life. Totally. And also actually this question has been huge instead of 
what do I want to write about? What am I learning? Hmm. We're always learning. Hopefully. Yeah, that's a huge distinction. Yeah. We're always learning. So let's just wait. And then it's what I want to write about. Nothing comes out of me. What am I learning? All of a sudden, like I filled three pages. Yeah. That's a great tip. I love that. Thank I love you. that. Um, going into a little bit of, you know, something that I've always admired about you and your fiance, <laughs> Farhad, Farhad. Um, an amazing dude. I love him. He's such a great, great person. And you guys have such a great relationship, something that inspires me mm. and to the possibility of, of what could be. And, you know, talk, tell us about how that came to be. How'd you meet him? And <laughs> then we'll, we'll go a little bit from there. Okay. Well, one of the other blessings and gifts that came with Bold is, so the first Bold started in Boulder. It was actually a 30-day program. We all lived in a house for 30 days. Crazy. Um, And then our second one, we decided to do 10 days in San Francisco. And when I wanted to bring it to San Francisco, I knew this guy named Farhad, who was working on an innovation colony. And he happened to have these houses around Alamo Square Park with his other partners. And... um, him and I, oh, oh yeah, him and I had met six months prior because a mutual friend of ours, Daniel Epstein, introduced us. Mm. I was going to San Francisco and he said, uh, Farhad is your soulmate in business. You guys need to meet. I know you're busy. I know you're only there for a short time, but you have to meet this guy. So I was dating someone at the time. Oh. So yeah, so I was, so I go and I meet him and he pitches me on this idea that he's, he's working on. I tell him it's not going to work and he gives me an apple with almond butter and it's this whole just, it was just this, you know, this, this lovely afternoon. But I, but I remember in that experience, um, feeling like, wow, this guy's really special. You could feel the love beaming out of him. And I just remember walking away from that meeting, feeling moved by him. And then I think even over the summer, I would like randomly put hearts on his wall. I don't know. This was like back in May. I don't know on his Facebook wall. Yes, I guess Facebook flirting. I don't even, but I remember like not even being aware of it. And then later being like, wait, was I putting hearts on his wall? Anyway, back to, (laughs) back to Bold. So I want to bring Bold to San Francisco. This is almost a year later or no, this is six months later. I'm single. I'm this time is probably confusing, but okay. So it's six months later, I'm single and I reach out to him and say, Hey, I want to borrow one of your houses. Is that possible? for 10 days. And how much did that cost? And he's like, and I I was in LA. So he was like, well, why don't you fly up to San Francisco, meet my team? Let's talk about it. So I fly up there, supposed to be there for two days. And he convinces me to stay for 11 days. Oh, he's like, you have to meet this person. The owners of this house are coming to this dinner. Uh, this rapper Jermaine Dupri is going to be in town for this thing. You have to like, (laughs) there's all these events and people and experiences that you need to be a part of. And so I extend my trip and we now call that the 11 days of love. Oh, <laughs> hey, yo. So the first three days were super business. Like he was not, not even, I don't even think he was open to the idea of a relationship. I think he even said to his business partners at one time that the only thing that could bring that down is if a woman came into it. Well, oh. here that woman was standing and not that, not that the business has gone down. The business is doing great, <laughs> but, um, but he, so, so yeah, so the first three days, then we just, I mean, we were spending time with each other nonstop. Um, I think by day six, he still hadn't like made any moves or shown any interest at all. So I took all of my guy friends in San Francisco out for margaritas and drilled them on what was happening. (laughs) I was like, guys, here's a play by play of everything that's happening. And they pretty much said to me, um, I think you're overthinking this. Um, why don't you feel your way into this? 
why don't you trust and surrender? <laughs> I don't, they, of course, didn't. I'm, I'm ladyvising the words, but, um, and, and basically they were like, you know, maybe he's intimidated. They were saying all of these things. So I decided to just let it go. And then literally, I think a day or two later, he asked me out on an official date and was really sweet about it, held my hands, made it this whole thing. And then Aww. we went on our first date. We had our first kiss. And then I went back to L.A. Oh, and then when I got to LA, I found myself in the emergency room 24 hours later because I was severely attacked by bed bugs. And Oof. yeah, it was bad. And I woke up in the middle of the night and had a rash from like head to toe. <clears throat> really, really bad. And I was delirious and thought I was dreaming. So I, I went back to sleep. And oh I woke God. up the next morning and I literally the next morning was thought, wow, that was a really bad dream. One and I looked in the mirror and it was even worse. So I sent a picture to my friend and she came and got me immediately, took me to the emergency room. In the emergency room, my heart rate was at like 42 and my blood pressure was really low. So I texted him and said, hey, in the ER, heart rate at 42, blood pressure under 80, not like have bumps all over my body. <laughs> Don't know what, because I didn't know what they were at the time. Um, and then he decided to fly down that weekend because wow. it was my birthday. And um, that's really when it was like, okay, this, this, is, this is happening. Yeah. He, his house was actually robbed the day that he was supposed to come or the morning he was supposed to come. And so he missed his flight. And I remember him calling and saying, I missed my flight. And I thought, I knew this was going to happen. He's not coming. But I'm in a taxi on the way and I'm making the next one. Oh, my God. So we moved in together two months later or less. I moved up with him in San Francisco in this house. And then um, he decided to, he had built a company for six years with his brother, Hello Smile, in, here in New York, which is rethinking the delivery model of healthcare for kids. They have like nine clinics, I mean, mm. I think about 100,000 kids. And so his heart was really there. So he decided yeah. to go back to where his heart was. And so in April of, this was 2012 now, we moved back to New York. And we just, and then we got engaged like a month later. Aww. So six months and we were engaged and it's just been, yeah. That's amazing. Deepening ever since. I love that. <laughs> so how has your relationship with him fueled your creativity? Mm. He He's a magical being. One, I'd say one of the most incredible things is that he really creates, um, he sets me free, I would say. Mm. He like creates such a safe space for me to mm. show up as all of who I am without judgment. And mm. he just is probably also the most supportive person I've ever met. Like him and my mom, it's like, whoa, you guys were like cut from the same cloth. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and just, yeah, so, so open, loving every day he comes home and I have like 19 aha moments and realizations to share with him and he loves to hear all of them. So That's it's, awesome. he, he really, you know, he allows that. And it's just, I feel so, I feel like the best version of myself when yeah. I'm around him. Um, so, so fully me, I guess. Yeah. And so from that place, I feel like anything is really possible. Yeah. That's beautiful. I love that. So tell us about what's coming up in that space. Uh, like challenges? Well, I mean, the, you know, love around the world, oh, engagement, oh, oh, no oh, wedding, oh. all that good oh, stuff. All that good stuff. Um, so we, and, and I do want to say it's not always roses and butterflies, um, we definitely, I'd say when we run into conflict in our relationship, that's, we're really having an, we're becoming open to it. And that's been something that's really been so amazing for us. And he, he went through a really hard year 
And I found myself constantly wanting to like fix things and make things better. And I felt really paralyzed when I didn't know how to improve the situation for him. Hmm. And this year for me was really learning about learning how to hold that safe space for him. Like he does so beautifully for me Hmm. and not to try to put on my coach hat and try to fix the situation or come to a solution because that's going to make it more comfortable for me. The truth is, is that I'm uncomfortable. So I try to coach him to make it less, (laughs) less, you know, less or to make it more comfortable. Yeah. And that's been holding space has been like a huge thing for us. And it's amazing when I realized that he didn't want me to solve his problems. He just wanted me to love him. How I was like, oh, well, that's a relief. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, so we definitely, you know, it is like the most, I, it's a love that I didn't think was possible. And we definitely, you know, it's also possible because we really allow ourselves to go there and really, you know, face fears together, work on challenges and really be partners in crime. Yeah. So just wanted to add that bit, but love it. So where, where is that going? Um, we've decided we're not going to have a wedding. We, uh, I, I just wasn't a, a little girl dreaming about having a wedding one day and it just, we figured why would we spend all of the time, energy and money toward making this day happen that supports an industry that we don't necessarily believe in? Mm-hmm. And why instead, how can we create a, a memory and how can we really actually like, what's the goal here? The goal is to like really deepen our love yeah. and to connect more deeply than ever before. Additionally to that, it is, we want to celebrate with the people we love the most. Yeah. That doesn't necessarily have to to, to occur in the way of a one day wedding that I think is often more stressful than it is enjoyable. Yeah. So we, we are doing something called love around the world. Uh, we're still in the, the stages of figuring out how it's going to work, but basically we want to travel the world for three to six months and explore love union commitment in different cultures mm. and also kind of explore our own creative projects along the way. So I love that, that we wanted to, to go, with that January 2016, so basically a year from now. That's a li- we're feeling like that might be a little soon. We'll see. Um, <laughs> but I will say like two weeks ago, I looked at him and I said, I'm really ready for you to be my husband. And he said, I'm really ready for you to be my wife. So Aww. who knows if some union of sorts might happen sooner than that. <laughs> but this, lover, this trip is definitely happening um, at, at some point. And then we want to, whether it's at the beginning of it, at the end or both, we want to invite the people we care about the most to come celebrate with us. That's amazing. I love that. It's a beautiful thing you guys have. <laughs> Thank you. It's inspired to me. It's something that I also dream of is, mm. you know, being able to travel the world with, uh, with my love and adventure partner and you guys are doing it. I acknowledge you for that. That's, that's mm. amazing. And, and it's amazing that you've found somebody like that. Yeah. I'm so grateful <laughs> every day. I'm like, how, how did this? Wow. Yeah. He's, he's such a good dude. I, I, I love yeah. Farhad. He's great. Huge heart, huge heart. Um, well, in wrapping up here, one last question Ooh. that I love to ask everyone is what does live inspiration mean to you? Mm. What comes to mind is this notion of being living inspiration to mm. really to embody that inspiration. So, you know, instead of talking about I want to change the world, it's how do I change myself? Mm. So to be inspiration is to embody the inspiration you wish to create in the world. So to make your life a reflection of the art the inspiration that you seek to create. Yeah. I love it. That's beautiful. Thanks. Um, so where can we find you on the internets and read your amazing writing? You can find me at heyamberay.com, H E Y like, hello, Hey Amber, A M B E R R A E.com. And then I'd say that probably the best place to follow me is Instagram. That's where mm-hmm. I'm like really active. I post writing almost every day. So that's also Hey Amber Ray. Uh, facebook.com slash Amber Ray. 
pretty much Hey Amberay or Amberay everywhere on the internet. Beautiful. Well, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. This is this is a lot of fun. Woo woo Thank you guys so much for listening to today's episode of Shop Talk Radio with artist Amber Ray. I'm your host, Nick Onkin. And if you enjoyed today's episode, we'd love it if you could help us inspire even more people by leaving us a good review over on iTunes, tweeting or Facebooking this episode, and tag us on Instagram, hashtag Shop Talk Radio, or my handle, at Nick Onkin, where you're being inspired by the episode. Also, don't forget to go check out the photo shoot that we did over on the page, shoptalkradio.com slash EP40. And with that, we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.